some announcements for you guys. You ready for this? I'm super excited. Um, first thing that I want to tell you about is we have communities of people that gather together here during the week, and we call them life groups. Um, that feels a little overwhelming because some people are like, for life? I don't think I want to do anything for life. It's really just a place where you come, gather with other people, and do life together. And I think that this um, season of pandemic has shown to me personally the value of community in a way that I think I took it for granted. And so if there's anyone here in person or even at home watching online that would like to be in a life group, we have a new quarter that's starting and it runs from April to the end of May. And those are in person, some of them are, and some of them are also online. And so whatever your comfort level is with that, we would love to get you connected with other people at Brookview. And um, they're, for a little bit, they're going to be talking about and exploring the messages that Jason gives on Sunday mornings. And then they'll gather together and just kind of unpack it more fully. And so if you're interested in doing that, we would love for you to text the keyword group, I wasn't sure if it was life group or group, group, to that number there, that's the Brookview number, or you can fill out an online communication card, and I'll tell you all about that and how to go about finding that in just a second. I also want to tell you about a couple of things that we get to do in our community. Um, we get to help with people that are experiencing hardship through um, food scarcity issues and even homelessness. And two different ways that we do that. One, we partner with the Nourishing Network, which is the Edmonds School District Foundation, and they help provide students with meals that wouldn't otherwise be able to get those. And one of the things that we do is we gather together at an elementary school once a month, and we pack cars that pull up full of groceries. And a lot of those grocery items are things that are difficult for them to get because they're fresh produce. Um, and so... We just want to invite anyone who would be willing to help out to help us with some of those things. The other group that we help out with is Vision House, and they are a group here in Shoreline, actually about three miles from here, who they have housing for people that were homeless, and they bring them in and they wrap around them with support services um, and help them then to uh, have their own housing, um, get jobs. It is pretty incredible um, what their success rate is for people once they leave that program. It's about five years is what they live in this housing for, and it's like 95% of the people then are no longer experiencing homelessness at any point, and that's pretty cool. Um, and so one of the things that we do to partner with them is we help them with some items that is they're more difficult for their residents to, to get. And um, last month, some of you know that we had a, a list going on there, and one of the things was Afro hair care products, shampoo and conditioner. Um, and I was really taken aback, I guess. We got an email from Vision House, and she said, thank you for your donation. You are the only church that has brought us those Afro hair care products. 
And I was just really proud of you guys stepping in to doing something like that. And it's little things like that that show people that there are there's goodness in the world and it's a great way to love people. And so one of the things that they've asked for, I think now they're like, oh, these people are ready for a challenge. Um, <laughs> and so we've been challenged with helping to provide them with teff flour. And that is a staple in Ethiopian meals. And so um, that's something that is a little bit expensive and difficult to find. The other thing is, I said it wrong at the last service, you guys, I called it flav flava beans. <laughs> like, flavor? Uh, no, it's fava beans. I was corrected. So um, good thing I revealed that to you. I could have kept it a secret, but... Um, fava beans is another Ethiopian staple as well. And so if you see anything here that you feel like, oh, I might be able to help with that, we have a sign-up. It's a digital sign-up, and it just asks for how many of the things that we need. And then you just basically say, I can bring one of those or two of those or whatever it might be. And then it's, it's happening April 20th is when we do that distribution. So you have some time, and you can bring it to the church here. Um, if you come to church in person, you can bring it and drop it off in the lobby. Or if you're watching from home and you're just not ready to do church yet, you can drop it off on the side ramp over here on the building by the playground structure. And we have some bins that you can put that in. And we check those regularly just to make sure that they're not sitting out there forever. And so we just, first of all, want to say thank you in advance for empowering us to show up in these places and to empower people that have those real relationships and real connections with people to do the good work that they're doing. So if you're interested in that, you can text the keyword vision or Cedar Way, or you can sign up on the online communication card, which brings me to the last thing, online communication card. We love hearing from you. And the way that you can connect to us, respond to anything that we've talked about, there's a place where you can write comments, prayer requests that you might have, is by going to brookviewchurch.com forward slash contact, or if you just want to go to brookviewchurch.com, there's a little bar up there and it says contact, and that will take you right to the space for you to click on that online communication card. So we just invite you to do that, respond to anything that you're hearing um, today that you'd like to be involved in. I did say that was my last announcement, but I lied because I forgot there's one more. We have something very exciting going on around here. Many of you guys have heard about The Village, and that is our school support for kids as they are in online learning, and that happens Monday through Friday over here next door. And Trevor Gray has been our teacher over there and running that and doing an incredible job. In addition to that, he's been working with our middle school students once a week along with Rebecca Ellersick. And it's just been really cool to have him and we just, a door opened, and we asked Trevor if he would come on staff at Brookview, and he said yes. And so, Trevor, will you come up here? Yeah. <laughs> Trevor's main arena of ministry will be um, children, and it will be youth, and then young adults as well. And he is, well, he's an exciting guy. 
He's an exciting guy um, for so many different reasons, but he has done such a good job next door. And um, not just with kids, but taking leadership and ownership and taking things forward. And we're just so, so grateful. And so he will finish up his time at the village that will stay open through the end of the school year in June. And then he will transition into this new role with us. And so will you tell us what you're excited about? Because you're not very exciting. Okay. Yeah, so it's still weird speaking on a microphone. Um, <laughs> no, it's been just a blessing just to work at the village and just to be able to see those kids day in, day out, and then the families too. There are so many cool people here at Brookview. Um, it's, it's awesome to be working with you guys, and I'm excited. I mean, even in the earlier service, we had so many volunteers and people were doing treasure hunts and whatnot this morning, and it was just so cool. And I'm so thankful for those kids and all those volunteers I, there's so much to be excited about. I don't know. I, I might be an exciting guy. I'm hype things up. But um, this whole new direction, it's going to be really cool to see where God moves through all of this. And just especially like the summer where things are slowly getting back to a little bit out of COVID, but we're transitioning. It's just cool to be a part of how to see um, where God takes it and like how is he going to move through this church. I'm so excited for it. Everything's going to be cool. Jen mentioned that everything is awesome um, by the Lego, the Lego, Lego movie, movie, so that's, that's the anthem right now. <laughs> Welcome to the weirdness. <laughs> I do want to throw an aside there. Casey was at our 9 o'clock service, and um, I want you to know that he is so excited for this as well and um, believes wholeheartedly in Trevor and him coming on staff as well. So... Um, Trevor, thanks. Thanks for saying yes. I'm excited, too, for where this might take us. Yeah. Um, I'm going to pray for us while Jason makes his way up here. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for the way that you are moving among us. I thank you for all that has been, but also all that is to come. And God, I love spring. I love tulips. I love that they pop out of the ground and remind me that there is new life that in dark places, light comes and new birth is possible. And I just look forward to the way that you are re recreating me and others and you're making in the process of making all things new. God, thank you for Easter, for this reality that we get to celebrate a risen king. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Good job beautiful. <laughs> to my wife. I don't say that to all the worship leader ladies. <laughs> well, you guys, my goodness, happy Easter. Happy Easter. Yeah. I mean, today's a day that all over the globe, millions and millions of people are gathered, and we gather to celebrate the hope that comes to us through Jesus through his death and, and even more through his resurrection. We believe that his rising from the dead changes everything. But today I, I want us to think deeply about what it actually changes because in our culture I think there's a ton of confusion about this. Most people in America that don't participate in the story of Jesus are confident that they know what they're rejecting. Um, but it seems to me that the gospel 
that many are rejecting is actually a false gospel. That the story of, of Christianity that they aren't interested in isn't the real story. But there's a pervading story that has been wildly adopted. And for many of us, those that are saying no thanks are people that we know and we love deeply. Right? They are our friends. They're our neighbors. They're our coworkers. They're our children. They're our parents. They're our, grand, our grandparents, our grandkids. It's your brother, right? It's your sister. It's your best friend. And you, you want them to see God's goodness and see his love and grace, but, but when you talk about any of it, even just talking about church, they think they know the story, and they are not compelled by the story they think they know. Okay, so if you go out into the world and you ask people what Christianity is, like if you ask your coworkers or neighbors or your friends or your parents, people who, who are not participating in it, who just aren't interested, the odds are you're going to get a story something like this. There we go. So, okay, here we are. We're all on planet Earth. And it is a beautiful but also a tragic place. And so on Earth is, is, is me and there's you and there's everybody. Um, and, and we're living our lives. And it sort of goes on this timeline across, right? And sometimes it's great, and, and sometimes it's, it's really hard or really sad. And the people in your life generally assume that you, if you're a follower of Jesus, try to be good. And, and so you, 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 you try to do good, and sometimes you do. And then, of course, we're all human, and so sometimes you don't. And you're trying to be the very best, you know, you're trying your very best to be more on the top of the line than the bottom. But in reality, we're all human, we're, it's, we're all a mixed bag, okay? So at the, at the end of the game, at the end of your life, or at the end of history, God is going to close the curtains on it all, and based on how good or bad you've been, or based on if you happen to hold correct ideas and beliefs about God, God then assigns you one of two places, either heaven or hell. And then if you, if you talk this out with people in conversation, you find that most people think of, of, of these, both of these, as sort of disembodied places, like they are non-physical. Heaven is about clouds and harps and angels and singing. And the other place is like this subterranean torture chamber where God is sadistically hurting people or something. You guys with me on this? Okay. This is what many, many people envision. This is what people think followers of Jesus believe. Guys, many people are convinced that this is what you believe. And some of you might be thinking, yeah. <laughs> well, that kind of is what I believe. But I love you guys. And I want to say, this is a story that is filled with like half-truths or one-quarter truths. And the story of the Bible is so much bigger and so much more beautiful. This does not capture the teaching of the Bible or the teaching of Jesus. It doesn't capture it well. And if you've been around Brookview the last several years, we've, we've talked about something that kind of challenges this. And as we've talked about it, it may be for some of you that it's been a little bit confusing. Because this image is so deeply imprinted in our minds that we can hardly get our mind around another paradigm. 
Okay, so if you've been around Brookview for a few years, we've looked at a lot of passages where Jesus says some really interesting things. Interesting things about the nature of heaven and, and, and when it will happen and where it will happen and what heaven even is. For instance, we've looked quite a bit at Matthew chapter 4. Matthew has kind of given a summary of, of what went on with Jesus. He tells the story of Jesus. He's kind of given a summary of how things with Jesus' ministry got kicked off. And he writes this. He says, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Okay, John who? John the Baptist. Okay, so leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light, and those living in the land of the shadow of death, on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So Matthew says, Jesus is a great light to people living in darkness, where? On earth. And next, we see that Jesus, okay, the light, went about the region teaching. And Matthew says his messages were always built around the same theme. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, and here's the essence of the message every, everywhere he went. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Well, so, wait, what? What are you saying, Jesus? Like, in what way has heaven come near? Is heaven a, a future disembodied reality, or is it a present reality on earth? What in the world is Jesus saying? And this is important because, you guys, this was the focus of Jesus' message everywhere he went. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Some translations say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Later in Matthew, Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray. And Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, where? On earth as it is in heaven. Wait, what? Again, what is Jesus saying? I mean, according to this, where is God's kingdom? When, and when is God's kingdom? Is it future or is it now? Is it, is it here or is it somewhere else? Or how about Mark's version of the same summary as Matthew? Check this out. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. That's the gospel, the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Okay, so well, what is the good news? What is the gospel? When is the kingdom? The time has come. Jesus says. Where is the kingdom? It has come near, Jesus says. Has all got that? I mean, it's just totally clear, right? I mean, what in the world does Jesus mean by this? In what way is this true? I mean, don't raise your hand or anything, but I mean, is anybody a little confused? Well, some of you know that I have recently discovered a resource that I really like. And it's called The Bible Project. You guys, I stink and love it. Now, the guys at The Bible Project put together 
a six-minute video on this, and I think that it is super, super helpful. So let's, let's watch this. So in the Bible, the ideas of heaven and earth are ways of talking about God's space and our space. So I understand our space really well. We live here. There's trees, rivers, mountains. But my understanding of God's space gets a little fuzzy. And what we do get in the Bible are images trying to help us grasp God's space, which is basically inconceivable to us. So these are two very different types of spaces. Yes, they're, they're different in their nature, but here's what's really interesting is that in the Bible, these are not always separate spaces. So think of heaven and earth as like different dimensions that can overlap in the same exact space. So we talk a lot about going to heaven after we die, but this idea of heaven and earth overlapping, we don't talk a lot about that. Which is kind of crazy because the union of heaven and earth is what the story of the Bible is all about. How they were once fully united and then driven apart and about how God is bringing them back together once again. So let's go back to the beginning where heaven and earth, they're completely overlapping. Yeah, this is what uh, the Bible's description of the Garden of Eden is all about. It's a place where God and humanity dwelt together perfectly, no separation, and, and humans then partner with God in building a flourishing, beautiful world and so on. But as humans, we wanted to do things a different way. We wanted God out and we wanted to create a world apart from him. Yeah, so we have these two spaces now. And the Bible actually uses lots of different kinds of words and phrases to refer to these two spaces to make a, a clear distinction. So you've said that these spaces can overlap, though. So explain how that works. Yeah, this is where we have to start talking about temples. Because in the biblical world, you experience God's presence by going to a temple. That's where heaven and earth uh, overlap. Now, there are two types of temples described in the Bible. One is a tabernacle, basically a tent that was built by Moses. And the other was this massive building made by Solomon. And these temples were decorated with fruit trees and flowers and images of angels and all kinds of gold and jewels and so on. And these are designed to make you feel like you're going back to the garden. And at the center of the temple was a place called the Holy of Holies, which was like the hot spot of God's presence. Now we can go and be with God again. But not so fast, because the temple also creates a problem. So God's space is full of his presence and goodness and justice and beauty, but human space is full of sin and injustice and the ugliness that results. So how do these spaces overlap if they're so different and they're in conflict with each other? This was resolved through animal sacrifice. Yeah, that's kind of weird. What do animal sacrifices have to do with this? Yeah, the, the idea is this. Animal sacrifices, somehow they absorb the sin when the animal dies in your place. And it creates a clean space, so to speak, where you are now free to enter into the temple and be in God's presence. Okay, so if I'm an Israelite and I live in Jerusalem, I might be able to be in God's presence. But you said the story of the Bible is all of heaven and earth reuniting. Right. So we have to keep going in the story where we come to Jesus in the New Testament. And in the Gospel of John, we hear this claim that God became human in Jesus and made his dwelling among us. Now, this word dwelling is really curious. It, literally, it means he set up a tabernacle among us. And so what John is claiming right here is that Jesus is a temple. He is now the place where heaven and earth overlap. 
What's interesting about Jesus is that he isn't staying in this safe, clean space. He's running around hanging out with sinners. He's healing people of their sicknesses and forgiving people of their sins. He's basically creating little pockets of heaven where people can be in God's presence, but he's doing it out there in the middle of the world of sin and death. And he keeps telling everyone that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he even told his followers to pray regularly that God's kingdom come and that his will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. But a lot of people are threatened by Jesus and they kill him, which seems to spoil this whole plan to reunite heaven and earth. But we we have to go back to a scene earlier on in Jesus' story where John the Baptist saw Jesus and said, Behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus isn't just talked about as being a temple. He's also talked about as being the temple sacrifice. Yeah, so, so the cross is now the place where Jesus absorbs sin to create a clean space that is not limited like animal sacrifices. Jesus' sacrifice has the power to keep spreading and spreading and reuniting more and more of heaven and earth. And this is all really great, but it leaves one big question in my mind, which is, what happens when I die? Don't I just fly over to God's space to be with Jesus? Yeah, so a few times in the New Testament, we learn that Christians will be with Jesus in heaven after they die, but that is not the focus of the Bible's story. The focus is on how heaven and earth are being reunited through Jesus and will be completely brought together one day when he returns. So in the book of Revelation, we get this beautiful image of the Garden of Eden, now in the form of a city, coming to end the age of sin and death by redeeming all of human history in a renewed creation. And God's space and human space completely overlap once again. So the main story, like the macro story of the Bible, is all about how heaven and earth got ripped apart, right? They got ripped apart, and it was not God's will. There, there's something that happened in the story that went wrong. God, God wanted to rule his good world in partnership, and he chose to do it with these dignified, image-bearing human beings. But that goes wrong. Not because of how God set things up, but because something went wrong inside of humans. They decided not to trust God. They decided not to live with him in his way. And instead, they decided to live how they wanted, apart from God. And it's, it's really important that we understand something about this. At the end of the story, we're told that in the beginning, like in, at the outset of the story, we're told in the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. Okay. Now, what, what does that not say? Well, it doesn't say, in the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth and hell. So guys, please understand, whatever hell is, God didn't make it. It is nowhere to be found in the story of what God created. What God made is heaven and earth. And throughout the story, after each stage of that, like time and time again, we're told that God created something and then he saw it and he said, he said it was good. So whatever hell is, it comes later in the story. And if you read further, you see that hell is something that humans have created. Okay, 
hell is something humans have created. Hell began to happen as humans live their own way apart from God. Now, what do I mean? Well, I mean, there are hellish things happening all over earth. And you go, well, wait, am I making a leap to talk about hell as a present reality? Have you looked at our world? I mean, like, you go, well, yeah, but is that biblical? Yes, actually, it is, very much so. Jesus had a little brother who wrote a book in the New Testament. Anybody know little brother's name? James. He also had a little brother named Jude, and he doesn't get as much airtime. <laughs> James became a leader in the church after Jesus was gone. And like Paul, James wrote a letter to encourage Christians. Paul wrote many. James wrote at least one, maybe more. And it's in the Bible, and we call it the letter of James. And in that letter, in chapter 3, he talks about the power of the human tongue, how the human tongue has the power to bless people and praise God, but also it can gossip people about people. It can tear people down. It can destroy people. James, so here's what he says. Chapter 3, verse 6, he says, The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Now, what are the implications of that? Well, the implications are that hell isn't just something that comes at the end of life or at the end of history, but that hell is a present reality right now. It is a reality that humans unleash on each other, and they unleash on this world that God loves. Hell is something that we have created on earth, and God hates hell. And the story of the Bible is the story of God wanting to heal his world. I guess you could say he wants to get the hell out of earth. <laughs> That's the story of the Bible. God hates hell because it damages people that he loves. Hell is about the unleashing of selfishness and evil. It's about the breakdown and degrading of dignified, image-bearing human beings. That's what hell is. And Genesis tells us how it came to be. It's what Genesis chapters 3 to 11 are all about. It's what's usually called the fall or the fall of humanity, but it's just humans unleashing hell on one another. Unleashing hell on earth. And God hates it because he loves his world and he loves human beings who are made in his image. And Jesus comes onto the scene announcing good news. The time has come. Heaven is here to invade earth, to confront evil. I mean, when you read the Gospels, what do you see Jesus doing? You see him confronting hell and its disastrous effects on people. I mean, he like casts out demons. He literally casts hell right out of people. He confronts the breakdown of human relationships. He confronts anything that damages people. Legalistic religion. He confronts anger, hate, fear, arrogance, anxiety, greed. Jesus hates hell and its effects on human beings. I mean, like, let's think about our modern world for a second. Right now, there is sexual exploitation of children happening all over our world. It is a hellish plague on our world, and we call it sex trafficking. We hate it, and we want it gone from our world. Here's the thing. God also hates sex trafficking, and so does Jesus. 
But Jesus actually takes it far more seriously than we do. Because, see, we want sex trafficking gone from this world. Jesus wants lust gone from this world. He wants to get rid of the root desire to use another human being for my personal gratification. Jesus wants lust gone from his world. Jesus is more serious about evil than we are. And we look at our world and we are appalled by racism. We look at our world and we're appalled by genocide. We want them gone from our world. Jesus also wants them gone, but he's even more serious about them than we are. He doesn't just want to get rid of racism and and genocide. He wants to remove pride and contempt and anger and rage and bitterness from the human heart. He wants to go deeper than racism and genocide to what's actually underneath all of that. Racism and, and sex trafficking are raging hellfires that are destroying our world, but they're ignited by sparks of deep-rooted distortions inside us. They're a product of innate brokenness in the human heart and mind. Jesus wants to get the hell out of his world, but also he wants to get the hell out of you and out of me. And here's the problem. See, I want God to get the hell out of the world, but somehow I want him to do it without having to get rid of me. (laughs) So how, how can that happen? Well, Jesus is like a great physician, right? He sees something in me that's broken, and he's able to go in and and repair it or remove it. But here's the deal with this. I have to give consent, right? He's the great physician, but I have to to sign the consent form, right? I mean, guys, if you go to a doctor and they start doing things to you without your consent, get a new doctor, (laughs) right? He's always waiting for me to give consent, I mean, Jesus one time said, I haven't come for the healthy, but for the sick. And by that, he did not mean, hey, just so you know, some people are really bad and need to be fixed, but others are good and they they really don't need any help. From his view, every single person on earth is sick. Here's the difference. Some people know it. Some people aren't living in denial and they're willing to give consent. They're willing to trust him because they want something better. So they're willing to give consent to a lifelong series of procedures that are done by the great physician. They cry out to him and they say, Jesus, help me. Jesus, change me, grow me, make me new. And this is what Jesus is offering, to heal us and make us new. I mean, go read the Gospels and watch what Jesus does. Jesus walks around living this hell-free existence. And he shows us what a human life is intended to be, but what we perpetually fail to be. It it is this hell-free life that only ever gives and only ever loves. The life, this life that is like unceasingly other-centered. But it's a life that also confronts evil. And to those that he confronts and those that expected him to be something else, His life and his way are so offensive. Like how he confronts, it's all so offensive and it creates all this rage and anger. And yet it leads to the most beautiful paradox. The one that came to confront hell allows the hell that we've created 
to overwhelm him and destroy him. He allows the hell human beings have created to exhaust its power upon him. And we call this the moment of the cross. And the moment of the cross is the death and the resurrection of Jesus. But it's also the death and the resurrection of our world. In Jesus, the train wreck of humanity and all its consequences of evil and sin, it all exhausts its power in the death of Christ. But because God is so in love with this world, because he wants to bring all of it to life, because he wants to restore all of it with his uncompromised, like with, with compromised, fractured, image-bearing human beings, he's simply not willing to allow hell to get the last word. So, the death and raising of Jesus is this moment of new life, not just for Jesus, but the beginning of life for the entire world. It's the start. And it exhibits God's love for us and his relentless commitment to our world. In Jesus, God is inviting us to begin to live into a hell-free existence right now in the present and, of course, on into the future. This is the good news. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent and believe the good news. God wants to get the hell out of you and eventually out of every part of his world. Now, when you think about it, when you think of what you're, what could possibly be better news? So how does the story of the Bible end? If God is going to bring all of this to completion one day, then where does hell fit into it? Well, heaven and earth have been ripped apart and they've been separated. And, and the idea is that they are brought together and made, made one once again. But then, okay, so then what happens to hell? Well, hell has to be removed from earth. Somehow it has to get out of here. So go look at the end of the story in the Bible, in the book of Revelation. Like the last couple of chapters. Where is hell at the end of the story? Well, hell is God's commitment to human dignity and choice. If someone refuses to be healed by the great physician, God will honor that decision. It will make him sad, but he will honor it. But what God will not do is allow hell to continue ruining the world that he loves. And so the image in Revelation, last couple of chapters, is this beautiful new garden city where heaven and earth overlap and they are married together once again. And hell, okay, hell then is outside the city. Hell is outside of this. In God's mercy, he contains human evil to not let it eternally damage his world. So for those who refuse to participate in God's recreation of his world, he honors their decision and they remain outside the city. Now, there are all kinds of things that we want to know about life on the outside. I mean, we want detail upon detail about what happens in that outside place. But for Jesus and for the Bible, that isn't really their main focus. The main focus is the good news, that Jesus was so committed to getting the hell out of his world and out of you and out of me that he lived for you and he died for you and he was raised for you. And so what's on offer for you and me today is to repent and believe the good news. Now, a really important question is, what does that mean? 
I mean, what does it mean to repent and believe the good news? I mean, if a person said, Jesus, I, I want to respond to your offer, what would that person do? Well, Jesus says, repent. <laughs> like, what in the world does that mean? Like, that's not a word we just throw around. You, you don't use that word at the office, do you? <laughs> go up to your coworker and go, hey, man, you need to repent. What, what does that mean? It sounds like a southern preacher, doesn't it? And that's where we hear, repent. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, it's actually super simple. To repent is to be open to going a new direction. At its heart, repentance is about changing direction. So Jesus is saying, if you want in on what I'm doing, then be willing to do something different. Go a new direction. Be willing to allow me to help you change the course of your life. Allow me to help you think and live differently, to go a new direction. So that's repent. Then what is, what is believe? Because just like the image we looked at earlier, there's all sorts of junk that's tied up with the word believe for us. What does it mean to believe? Well, to believe is to entrust yourself to Jesus. I mean, Jesus came to show us and teach us the best way to be human. And to believe is to trust that he knows what he's talking about and then begin to live into it. To believe is to say, Jesus, I believe that you know things about human flourishing that only God could know. I believe that your way is the best way, and I want to enter into that as fully as I can. I don't understand what all of it will entail, but I want to learn and I want to find out. So would you be my teacher? Would you day after day, month after month, year after year, teach me your way? Help me to grow in it. Help me to be the best version of myself as you teach me to live into your way. Now, the old school way of, of saying this is to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Savior. So, Savior, like, you recognize you can't rescue yourself. Jesus defeated sin and death through the cross and being raised. And then you make Jesus your Lord, which just means you give him ultimate authority. And these are all metaphors that Jesus uses, doctor, teacher, Lord. But what they all imply is that you allow Jesus to influence you. You, you entrust yourself to him to be made into something different. Like you put yourself in his hands and allow him to make something beautiful out of you. Now we can, we can see this and we can even be kind of drawn to it. But what often happens is this feels so big, it's like utterly overwhelming. I'm going to give myself to Jesus. Like that's huge. I've got to change everything in my life. Oh my gosh. And it becomes so huge and so overwhelming that we don't actually step into it, even if we wanted to. We don't step into it. It feels so unreachable and so daunting that we're frozen. And that's really unfortunate because, guys, it doesn't have to be like that. To say yes to Jesus, it's really simple. You just take the next step you need to take. Well, wait a minute. I got all this stuff in my life. I have to fix all of it. Just take the next step you need to take. Jesus will do beautiful things if you entrust yourself to him. But right now, like, let's be honest, you can't just go out and change everything. In fact, right now, you don't even know what, what all of that would entail. You can't know. And if you did know, let's be honest, 
it would probably paralyze you. So here's what you do. You do one thing that you already know to do. And I, here's my guess. My, my bet is that all of you that are watching online or all of you that are sitting here today, if you were to say, I want to entrust myself to Jesus, I actually want to do that, you actually already know one thing you should go do. So do that. Start there. Do that. And then from there, when you know another thing, do that. And after you've done that, do the next thing. And you just keep taking step after step. And after quite some time, maybe several months, maybe several years, maybe a couple of decades, you look back and you look at your life and you go, oh my goodness, wow, God has done something amazing in me. I mean, for me, I had no idea what following Jesus would ultimately entail. I still don't, actually. Like, I'm, I'm totally in process, just like everybody else, right? But at the outset, I definitely knew one thing. A friend from work asked me to, and some other coworkers, to read the Bible with him. Now, that wasn't like a call to suddenly live a radically different life. Just go read the, the Bible with my friend. And so I said, yes. From there, I remembered that I had been to church one time in my life, once, <laughs> a few years back. And I thought, man, if I really wanted to know more about Jesus, I could go to church. So as a 20-year-old, you guys, I started going to church, like, regularly, now, I was still drinking, and I was still cussing up a storm like a sailor, and I was still messing around with girls and all that stuff. I had issues. Okay, I'm just scratching the surface. I won't even get into the really dark stuff because you guys would run out of here. But I, I knew to go to church, and so I did. And I read the Bible with my friend, and I kept going to church, and suddenly all these thoughts that I had never had before were coming to me. And, and, and one day, the pastor at the church I was going to, he stood up and he said, hey, if you want to follow Jesus, you want to make a decision to follow Jesus, then get baptized. Start there. Now, I didn't know all that following Jesus would entail, but I knew that if I was going to follow Jesus, getting baptized would be the next step. And so I kept reading the Bible with my friend, and I kept going to church, and you guys, then I got baptized. And here's the thing. When I got baptized, it changed everything. Suddenly, I was made perfectly holy. <laughs> right? And suddenly, you guys, I understood all the mysteries of God. Like I went under the water, right? And this is, the, I went under the water and God just showed me everything. He said, okay, Jason, let me show you the rest of the deal. You're actually not going to make a ton of money in, a, in a, like a wildly successful career. You're going to be a pastor. And you're going to marry this beautiful girl named Jen and have three kids. And I said, God, I don't want three kids. I, I don't want any kids. Because God, kids will limit my freedom and they'll eat up all my money and I, I want to marry a, wo a woman that makes bank and, and I want to make bank and I want to live a like, super lavish lifestyle, footloose and fancy free. So I can't have kids and I can't be a pastor because God, I would be so sad if that's what you made my life into. I do like the beautiful wife part. Can we hang on to that? But God was like, listen, dang it. 
you aren't mature enough to pick and choose what's going to make you happy. I, I am going to gift you three beautiful kids, and they are, they are going to be the joy of your life. And your family is going to start a church, and it's going to be small, and it's going to be hard, but people, the people are going to be amazing, and you're going to love them. And you're going to go all over the world and tell people about me. For example, one day, you're going to go to Haiti and preach under a tent in 105-degree weather to over 1,000 Haitians through a translator. A different day, you're going to do a funeral service for a 10th grade boy that's a childhood friend of your oldest daughter, a boy who shockingly commits suicide. You and your amazing wife, and by the way, you're going to stop messing around with all these girls that don't love me, and, and I'm going to lead you to one that does, and you and that amazing wife are going to walk your daughter's friend's family through unimaginable grief in the weeks following his death. And then a thousand people are going to fix their eyes on you as you walk them through their shock at his memorial. And then I'm going to send you people whose marriages are in crisis. And you and your wife are going to walk them to a place of hope and healing. And some of them are going to become your best friends in the world. But Jason, your life is going to look totally different than anything you've ever imagined. So I went under the water one day, and God just showed me all of this. <laughs> yeah, like, no way, right? That's not how it works. God never showed me any of that. You know why? Because 21-year-old Jason would have left skid marks. I would have said, no way, no how, I am not doing any of that. I had no idea what it, what it would mean to follow Jesus. I had no idea where that might eventually lead me. I had no idea of all that would begin to happen and stir inside of me. No idea. I just did the next thing that I knew to do, and then I waited for the next thing. Question. What's the next step for you? What's the next thing? What is the, the thing you already know you need to do? Do that. I mean, for some of you, maybe the next thing is just making church a priority, whether it's online or in person. Just make church like a regular rhythm in your life. Maybe that's the next step. It won't be the last step, but maybe it's the next step. And maybe if you say yes to it, you will meet God in it, and you'll see the next thing. Now, for some of you, the next step might be to get baptized. I mean, is there a definitive, clear way if you want If someone wanted to say yes to Jesus, how would they do it? Get baptized. You just say, Jesus, I'm in this adventure wherever it may lead. And so if you're, if you're ready to entrust yourself to Jesus... Or maybe you already have. Maybe you've been at this for years, but you haven't been baptized. Then, then guys, that's, that's definitely the next step. And just so you know, we're tentatively planning a baptism right here at the church service on, on May 16th. Okay? And so if, you are, if you're ready to be baptized, I just want to say, come on, let's go. Let's do this thing. Let's do this thing. And, and here's, here's how you let us know. Right there, uh, it says you text BAPTISM to 425-406-3660. Um, you can also go to your online communication card if you're online. But here's the thing. Text BAPTISM to the number. It's way easier. <laughs> also, 
normally I'd be so offended if you took your phone out in church and started typing stuff, but right now I wouldn't be offended at all. <laughs> so let us know. And here's what I say. Please let us know, but don't let us know like on Saturday night, the, the, the 15th at 10 o'clock. Okay, give us some time to, to prep and to prep you and to, and to be ready for that. Maybe the next step for you is to gather with other Christ followers. Like you've never really done that. Like, or maybe you have and you just aren't in this season. We have, we have in-person life groups and then I lead a couple that are online. And so whoever, like, if you aren't in a weekly group, maybe that's a, a good next step. It's stunning how God meets us when we gather in community with other followers of Jesus. Just a little bit of an aside, in, in April, we're going to do a message series on life rhythms, on routines. Because here's the thing, when COVID hit, normal life came to a screeching halt, right? And we just all kind of hit pause. And now life is beginning to resume. So here's something to really think about. Do, do you want to go back to the same life schedule that you had before COVID? Do you, like, if you were going on the freeway at, at 80 miles an hour, do you want to now that everything's opening up, just jump right back on the freeway at 80 miles an hour? Do you want to live at the same pace in the same way? Or now that we've had kind of a, a reset, might it make sense to do some things a little bit differently? Is there a more intentional, healthier way to live? That's going to be the topic starting later this month and going into May. And here's the cool thing. Our life groups are going to take that content and help each other process it more deeply, and more personally. Now, this series is going to be amazing. <laughs> but I think that that processing time with others will be so valuable. So, that's one reason that you might join a group. There are a hundred or more others. So if that's the next step for you, do it. And then just see what, what might come of it from there. The point is, Take the next step you need to take. Now, for others of you, none of what I just said is a natural next step for you. But deep down, if you're honest, you know there's a next step. And I cannot encourage you enough. Whatever that is, go do it. Because you don't know what you might miss if you don't. I've been thinking about a ton about Trevor, how crazy this last year has been. Trevor graduated with a teaching degree from Grand Canyon University, go Lopes, made it to the NCAA tournament this year. Trevor had him win in the championship. Shockingly, they didn't. They got ousted in the first round, but hey. Um, so he was in Phoenix at the end of the school year and rooming with some friends, and he was, his plan was to be a teacher in Arizona. Okay, then COVID hit, and, um, and things got a little crazy, and he ended up connecting with some old friends really good friends from high school named Kate and Keller, super cool people. <laughs> and Trevor got a strong sense, I need to move back to Seattle. Like it was a strong inner sense, I need to move back to Seattle. There are people there that I respect and people that follow Jesus and I, I really don't have that kind of community here, I need to move back home. And so he came home and he reconnected with really good people and he reconnected with his old church, this church. And Jen said, dude, want to help me lead the middle school group? He'd been here like two weeks. <laughs> want to help me lead the middle school group? And Trev, Trev sensed it was the next step. And so he said, heck yeah. Two weeks later, Jen said, dude, you're killing it. 
You're a natural. Two weeks later, how about I step out and you take over the group for the whole summer? And he sensed it was a next step. So he said, oh yeah, heck yeah, I'm in. And then Jen had a brainstorm about starting a micro school, the village. And Jen said, dude, you'd be perfect for this. You want to run the village? And Trevor sensed it was a next step. And so he said, heck yeah, I'm in. And the process of being with those kids and loving them and spending time with, with you know, kindergartners all the way up to middle school kids and doing the middle school group and just watching those kids flourish, Trevor sensed God say, hey man, what if instead of being a teacher, you became like a youth pastor? What if you loved kids and built community and taught them about me? And so Trev came to us not long ago and said, hey, what would you guys think of me being a youth pastor instead of a teacher? Like, would that even be a good fit? Can you guys see me doing that? And I was like, heck no. That's a terrible idea. That would never work. No, I mean, like, both of us were like, that makes perfect sense. And to be honest, God's kind of been saying the same thing to us. And so this morning, Jen made an announcement, and Trevor got up here to share his heart. But all of this, here's the point, all of this came from an initial step that was an invitation from God. Trevor, what if you moved back to healthier community? I want to point something out. It's not like he heard an audible voice. It's not like God just boomed into his, you know, he's trying to sleep one night and God terrified him awake and said, you know, movest thou to Seattle. He had a sense. And he listened to it, and he took that step, and then he waited for the next and the next. And you guys, now he has a girlfriend. <laughs> Sorry, ladies. <laughs> I mean, he is a feast for the eyes, isn't he? Like, but now he's got a girlfriend, and I hear that she's really cute. And I hear that she's a serious follower of Jesus. And so if you're single and you don't want to be, just do what Trevor did. <laughs> no, okay, I'm kidding. But, but no move, no saying yes to God, no girl. Okay, I'm just saying. <laughs> so, okay, my real point is, if you see a next step, and if you feel a prompting, I cannot encourage you enough. Whatever it is, do it. You don't know what you might miss if you ignore God. So to close... Easter is about hope. God cares very much about what's happening in the world he loves. And even when we don't see it, he's working. Even when we don't feel it, he's working. We look at our world and we say, okay, God, this is not how it's supposed to be. And Jesus taught that God totally agrees. That he cares more than we do. And so what's he doing? He's working to restore everything, and he will not stop until it is all brought to completion. Things will not remain as they are forever. God will have the last word. Cancer will not have the last word. MS will not have the last word. ALS will not have the last word. Diabetes and gluten allergies won't have the last word. In God's restored world, we're all going to eat bread, baby. Yeah, and the deaf will hear, and the blind will see, and baldness. There's hope, I think. 
And broken marriages will not have the last word. No more depression. No more sex trafficking. No more racism. No more, no more genocide. No more crime. No more domestic violence. No more greed. No more poverty. No more loneliness. No more hate. No more anxiety. No more shame. No more fear. Yeah. All right, to wrap, I just want to invite you guys to close your eyes and bow your heads. And if you're online... Close your eyes and bow your heads unless you're driving or operating heavy machinery. And I just want to read some words from the Bible over you. These words come from Paul in the book of Romans chapter 8. And they're all about the hope that we have in Jesus. Because his resurrection was the start of something. Now try to picture what these words describe. Paul writes, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of of Christ shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword no in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for i am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons neither the present nor the future nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of god that is in christ jesus our lord